Happy Mother's Day. That was absolutely beautiful. Make room. I will make room for you to do whatever you want me to do. And then they sang that chorus, I surrender. Kunki ap i topa. I may not have said it exactly how they say it in Tadem, but we honor uh, our Asian American and Pacific Islanders Month. And thank you, Mumung and Hao, for that beautiful rendition of Make Room. And to all you mothers, happy Mother's Day. To my wife, Amber, and of course, to my mother, uh, Icy Anderson Jackson. So glad uh, that you're in my life. And for all of you moms, wherever you are around the world, we bless you in the name of Jesus. Let's pray, and then we're going to go into our topic today. The title of today's message is The Open Door. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have allowed us to come into this world really through the door of our moms that first opened it for us and brought us into this world. And we pray for the moms under the sound of my voice. And we just ask that they are blessed, that they are honored, and they are lifted up even by uh, today's service. And now that we are about to go into your word, we pray that your word would go into us. For it is in the name of Jesus we pray. Together everyone said amen and amen. Last week, we started a brand new five-week series called Threshold, and last week's message was the open door. We talked about Jesus being, uh, or the only door, and we talked about Jesus being the only door uh, to salvation. I'm so grateful for what happened last week in our Columbia campus. Many people walked through that door uh, to either be new in Christ or renewed in Christ. The same at our other campus at Owens Mills, Reisterstown. And I want those of you to know who came up and walked through this door that I've been praying for you all week long, uh, along with many other people. And we just pray that God would continue to move in your life. I also heard uh, stories of people who watched online, uh, one woman out of the Midwest, and she uh, walked through the door in the Midwest online while her uh, friend or sister walked through the door in Owens Mills, Reisterstown. So they were able to do that together. And then Pastor Steve Hartnett shared with a few of us the other day, and he said I could share it with you, that his 76-year-old brother, who had heard the gospel for 40 years, as Steve has planted and, and God has watered the seed for 40 years, he's heard the gospel. But Steve uh, sent him the link of the sermon, The Only Door, and he prayed to receive Christ into his life. And he was so emotional just to know his brother walked through the door into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I pray that if you don't know the gospel, or if you're not clear on it, go back to last week's message, The Only Door. Now, I want you to know 85% of the people that walked through the door and rededicated their lives to Christ last week, 85% were men, according to Pastor Sandy, who met with each one of them. And so I think God is using his word. And I think today he's going to continue to use it as we talk about the open door. Next week, the shut door. You know, God can open doors that no man can shut, but he can shut doors that no man can open. Followed by the next week, the covered door, and the final week, the kingdom doors. Now, Jesus says, I'm the gate. I'm the door. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to Father God except through me. So Jesus opens the door that we must walk through in order for us to have a relationship with God the Father by placing our faith in him. But in return, 
Jesus now wants to walk through a door into our lives of fellowship with him. So we walk through a door by faith into a relationship with him, but now Jesus walks through a door of fellowship to have a relationship with us. It's pretty amazing, actually. No other religion has this relational component where the God of the universe wants to enter into personal fellowship with you. Our key verse for today's topic comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. Maybe you're familiar with it, maybe you're not. Check it out. This is what it says. Jesus is speaking, and he says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20. I want you to see in this text that Jesus is such a gentleman. He doesn't bum rush his way in past our human volition or just blow past our human will. In this passage, we can see four quick observations. Here I am. Jesus is present. I stand at the door and I knock. Jesus is patient. I will come in. Jesus is prepared to accept our invitation and eat with you and he with me. Jesus is personal and wants to have fellowship with each of us. Yesterday, me and a couple friends went down to Washington, D.C. to meet with an Afghan family who's been here in America since September. And we wanted to just sit and hear their story and break bread with them. They made some rice and some chicken, and they put a table in the middle of their living room of the place where they were renting. And we sat around the table, and we broke bread uh, together. And I imagined when we knocked on the door, and uh, the Afghan woman, uh, Tahara, opened the door for us, and we came in. And then we were able to seat, sit and eat with them just 24 hours before I'd give this message. What an image, right? Standing at the door and knocking, someone opening the door, and then inviting you in to sit down at a table and have fellowship, hearing one another's stories and exchanging life together. That's what happened just yesterday. And one of the women at the table who I've known for about 25 years or so, but hadn't seen her in about 10 years, was saying, the one who connected us to the Afghan family, was saying, David, I remember when we first met you. I knocked on your door in Columbia, and we were supposed to be talking business, and you invited me in to sit down and eat with you and Amber. And I thought to myself, I'm sitting at this table having a meal with this, with this family, and that's the first thing we did when we met. I had forgotten about that story, but she says, I still remember it to this day, your hospitality. Well, guess what? That's Jesus. Jesus is saying, would you open the door and let me sit with you? Would you allow me to come in? I, I stand at the door and I knock. No judgment. Just acceptance. Forgiveness. Fellowship. Conversation. Communication. Connection. Peace reconciliation. This kind of fellowship is only available for the believer who's willing to open the door and invite Jesus Christ in. Now let me give you a little background on the verse because surprising to many, this text is not about evangelism. Not primarily. It's not an invitation to non-believers. Did you know that? I mean, we can use it for evangelism, but actually the context shows us that Jesus is talking to Christians and not non-Christians. 
He's not saying to unbelievers, open the door of your heart so I can come in and save you. Although he does that and there are other passages of scripture where we see that. But in this text, if you'll read it, Jesus is actually speaking to the last of seven churches in the book of Revelation that represent the church of Jesus Christ today in some way, shape or form. The name of this church was the church of Laodicea. It is our modern day Turkey. It's the seventh of seven different churches and seven represents completeness and finality. And I do wonder if this church represents our culture today. Are we in the last days? I believe that we are. And I believe, friends, it's harvest time because as Christ is coming back, we need to be ready. But I do wonder if we are the church of Laodicea in the way we're living today. Because in each one of these churches, Jesus does mention an area of rebuke, but he also mentions an area of, of reward. Uh, he gives some, some condemnation so far as criticism, but he also gives some commendation. But when we get to this seventh church here, it's interesting what their problem was. Does anybody know what the problem with the church of Laodicea was? The problem was lukewarmness. The problem that Jesus had with this church is that they had become lukewarm. It's kind of like having a cup of coffee that's piping hot, but then you leave it on the counter long enough. It's not piping hot. It's not iced coffee. It's just been sitting on the counter for hours. Then you take a sip and you just want to spit it out. Like tea. It's not hot tea. It's not iced tea, but it's that tea that's been sitting on the kitchen table all day. And then you take a swig of it and you want to spit it out. It's like milk, not hot steamed milk or that cold milk in the fridge that you want to drink down after you've had one, maybe two or three Oreo cookies. And your mouth is just saying, yes, now I want some milk. And you open up the refrigerator and you drink that cold milk. No, it's not that. It's that milk that's been sitting on the island for hours. And then you go and you take it and you drink it and you go, yuck. What Jesus is saying is this exact thing to the Christians in Laodicea. Yuck! We must ask the question, do you make Jesus say yuck? Are you yucky Christians? I mean, listen to what Jesus says. If you go back to the text and read the verses before verse 20, which is our key verse, listen to what he says in verses 15 and 16 to this church. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. Verse 16, so because you are, here it is, lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You've lost your fire. You've lost your passion. You've lost your connection. Or like the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2, he says, you have forsaken your first love. I imagine Jesus saying, at least those who stand against me are clear in their opposition. At least non-believers are bold enough to be honest about not wanting to have a relationship with me. But not you. 
You dabble around the church. You dabble around worship music. You dabble around prayer. But you refuse to dive in all the way in. You want to tease me, but you don't want to please me. Jesus is saying that you're, you're lukewarm, you're, you're compromising, you're bland, you're blah, you're noncommittal. Form of religiosity is nauseating to my stomach. Yuck. Your teasing makes me sick. Specifically, what Jesus says is, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And guess what? He's standing at the door of lukewarm Christians. That's what he's talking about when he says that verse. And if you're a lukewarm Christian today, Jesus is standing on your doorstep right now. And he's knocking. Even at this moment. Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. It's been open before, but for some reason, the passion's been gone. For some reason, we're separated from him and our fellowship. And he says, I stand patiently, prepared to come in if, if you would just open it so we could have a personal time of of fellowship. And for some of you, the only thing that would bring you back into fellowship is if you would say, Jesus, I, I hear you knocking. And I've been over here doing my thing and I'm a bit ashamed of what I've done and, and where I am and I don't have the passion I used to. I don't have the fire I, I used to and I know you're on the other side of the door. I know it's not non-Christians you're talking to. It's me. I'm a Christian. I invited you into my heart. I walked through the door of Christ to walk with you but then I walked away or walked out or got distracted. And I hear you today. And I know all I got to do is open the door. And I hear what the pastor's saying and I want to open it. One of the things we have to do is identify, are we lukewarm? Maybe you could look at someone near you. Maybe somebody's in the living room with you. Maybe, maybe you should just look at them and ask, them, are, are you hot or cold or lukewarm right now in your relationship with God? Uh, maybe you ought to text or chat and just say in the chat, you're either hot or you're not. Maybe you ought to tell someone, get hot for Christ. Because Jesus says, I am about to spit you out of my mouth in 316. But remember what I told you in the message earlier, those four quick observations. He's present, he's patient, he's prepared, he's personal. Listen, Jesus really is patient. I mean, did you see the verse I just said? 
Let me tell you what it didn't say. Jesus didn't say, I spat you out of my mouth. Verse 16, Jesus says, I'm about to spit you out. Jesus is talking about what he wants to do, but he hasn't done it yet. Instead, this nauseous Jesus patiently stands at the door of your lukewarm heart and he knocks. Here I am. I haven't left yet. I'm still present. I'm still patient. I'm still prepared to come in if you open. I still want to have some personal time with you. I haven't left yet. Though the door is closed to me. Will you open the door? And let them in? You know, one of the beautiful things about, if I could pause and talk about moms for a second, is they're great at welcoming their kids back, even after they've done so much dirt. Something about you moms, you're, you create a warm and a welcoming and a hospitable and a comforting and a comfortable environment. You got to give it up for moms today because they really are amazing people who we've probably disappointed so much, but yet they keep allowing us to come back in. And Jesus is saying, you know, like a, 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 a mom who, who will open the door, will you, will you open the door and, and, and let me in? But the reality is that sometimes we hear him, but we don't open the door because we have some barriers that have caused us to be lukewarm in the first place. And if I could just go back to the passage to show you some barriers that may have caused you and me to become lukewarm, then maybe we can understand how we can let the Lord come in, lifting us out of our lukewarmness so it gives us the strength to open the door. If we go back to the passage, while our key verse was verse 20, and while we read verses 15 and 16 to see the condition of the Laodiceans. Check out verses 17 through 19. Jesus says this. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. I want you to notice these three barriers. First, no need. Second, naked. Third, no sight. He talks about them and he tells them what their problem is. No need, nakedness, and no sight. What does this mean? Well, remember, John wrote the book of Revelation, but he also wrote the book of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John, chapter 2, verse 16, he talks about what comes against us that makes us lukewarm and separates us from fellowship with God. Notice what the verse says. For everything in the world, John says, the cravings of sinful man, that's the flesh, the lust of the eyes, that's what we see. And the boasting of what he has and does, that's the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
So in the world and with the enemy, we see the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And those three things that John mentions in John 2.16 are the very things that we see in Revelation 3 about the church of Laodicea. But it's not just about the church of Laodicea. It's the same strategy that the serpent used in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. The, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If we could take a moment and go back to the very first chapter in the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6, listen to what it says. The serpent says to Eve, you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. There's the pride, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, there's the flesh, and pleasing to the eyes, there's the eyes, also desirable for gaining wisdom, more pride, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, so she wasn't alone, the man was there, and he ate it. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open. Notice her eyes weren't open yet. But once he ate together, both of their eyes were open, and they realized that they were what? Naked. Because that's where shame comes in. So we see it in Genesis 3, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And we see it in Revelation 3. From beginning to end, this has been the plan of the enemy all along to get us away from Christ. Now, when we go back to Revelation 3 and we look again at those three things, no need, nakedness, no sight, you see this strategy all over again that's in the world and from the devil. 317, you have no need. That's the pride of life. In other words, when you have no need, your pride takes over because you don't need God anymore. Now, I'm all for technology and, and advancement. No doubt about it. But he's trying to say, just because you have money doesn't mean you're not poor spiritually. And he tells them, you're pitiful and you're poor. But because they had money as a church, they thought that they were better because they had money. There are a lot of churches that have money, but they're dead. A lot of denominations have a whole lot of money, but they're dead. They have million-dollar edifices, and they're empty. The Spirit of God has left a long time ago, and they have more money than so many other nonprofits. Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, and millions and millions and millions and millions of people, and there's no sense of the Spirit or the Word of God in them. Money doesn't equal maturity. And he says, you have no need. You don't know what it's like to pray that it would rain so that your crops will grow so that you can eat. You can just go in a grocery store and get what you want. You have something called a refrigerator, stock what you want. It's not like manna, you eat it today and then you wait for God to provide tomorrow. You have no need for me. You have no need for the elders to lay hands on you to heal you because your back hurts, your leg hurts, your arthritis hurts, you got a headache, you got pain. All you got to do is go to the pharmacy and medicate it. You have no need. Technologically, you can have whatever you want. You can see the word of God just by pulling up your phone. 
You have no need for a prophet waiting for a prophet to come into the land to speak a word from heaven because all you got to do is open your word. And if a prophet comes, you pull out your word and try to make sure that that prophet fits what you want it to say. No need. Nakedness. While no needs are pride of life, nakedness is the lust of the flesh. Nakedness comes from this sense of shame and immoral corruption that we have because of our fleshly desires. We all feel that. And then third, no sight. <laughs> like you see great, many of you even have glasses, but you're spiritually blind. When he's saying to the church of Laodicea that had money, you may have money, but you're spiritually poor, you're morally bankrupt, and you're spiritually blind. And these are the three things that I'm mentioning that will make you lukewarm. It doesn't mean it's bad to have groceries and bad to have electricity so you can keep things in the icebox. I like that. He's just saying, be careful because it can make you lukewarm. If you don't believe me, you go to other countries that don't have all that, and yet they're on fire for Jesus. The more we have no need, the more we feel like we can handle things ourselves, and the more we think we can handle things ourselves, the less we fall to our knees and say, God, please heal my wife's body. God, please do a miracle. You don't need a miracle. You can do everything on your own. Lukewarmness is what we're talking about, not salvation. If you have so much, you can decide whether you want to drive to church or not go to church at all. But when you've been in countries like I've been in and many of you have been in, people will walk for hours to get to church. And they're not crying about how long church is. They want it to be long. I thought I walked two hours on a road to get to church. Don't give me a 15-minute message and a couple of songs. I want to be there all day because the only thing I have left is to walk back home another two hours. So give me the Lord. Give me the fellowship. Give me the connection. I need church, and I don't need it microwave. I need it slow simmering so by the time it's all over, I know that I've been to church and I've met with God. Some of you are thinking, how long is this sermon going to be? Because i got to go do something. What am I saying? No need. Nakedness. No sight. Spiritually blind. But when you're not spiritually blind, you're looking for God. You're hearing him at the doorstep. When's the last time you heard from God? So as I turn the message toward the last portion of it, how can we go from lukewarm to hot again in our relationship with God? How can we break through these barriers to keep us, that keep us from opening the door to have fellowship with Christ? How can I fight against this three-step strategy and this scheme of the world and the devil that's launching against my spirit to keep me lukewarm? I'm glad you asked. Because we go right back to the text, we're told. In verse 19, let me just give you some practical ways to get back in fellowship with God. Verse 19, accept rebuke from God. That's what it says. Accept rebuke from God. Chapter 3, verse 19, it says this. Let me read it. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. 
So be earnest and repent. And then he says, here I am, and I stand at the door and knock. So first, accept rebuke from God. He says, those who I love, I rebuke. You know, God may chastise you for backsliding by allowing you to feel the weight of the consequences of your sin. But he's so gracious, he oftentimes lifts even that from us. But here's the question. Will you allow yourself to be chastised by God? Will you allow yourself to receive discipline from God? By accepting and receiving his rebuke, you're putting your pride aside and you're not resisting what God is doing in your life to make you more like Christ. And yes, sometimes it can be painful and difficult, but ultimately it can be very healing and freeing. But here's the second thing right here. He says in verse 19, be earnest and repent. Did you see what it says? Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. You know, fake repentance and saying, I'm sorry quickly because of remorse and move on with no sense of I'm ever going to change. But true repentance is being willing to turn away from our wicked ways. And earnest repentance is confessing before God our sin and committing not to do it again. Authentic repentance is being willing to put parameters in place to prevent us from easily sinning again. But then there's the third thing, accept rebuke from God authentically repent before God. And third and finally, ask the Redeemer to come in. Ask him to come back into your heart. It says in the text in verse 20, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door. Do you hear the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now? Whether you're in Florida or in Texas, whether you're in Myanmar, or Ukraine, or London, or New York, or in Columbia, Maryland? Are you hearing the Spirit of God speak to you and say, I'm knocking at the door. Do you hear me? Do you hear my voice? Ask the Redeemer to come back into your heart. Open the door. It's an act by, of worship by saying, Jesus, I hear the knocking. And I hear your voice. Has anybody ever knocked on your door? And you're like, who's there? And then they say their name and you recognize the voice. You don't open the door for everybody. You know that, right? But if you hear the knock and you hear his voice, open it. He's not judgmental. He will come in. He will forgive you. And like the Afghan family we were with, sit down. Let's have a meal together. Jesus is always about having a meal for repentance. Did you know that? I mean, maybe what we ought to do is have some food and say, all those who want to repent, come on through the door and let's eat. Because that's what he does. Did you know that? He made breakfast for Peter and the disciples who were away from him. To restore Peter, he, he cooked him breakfast with some fish in John chapter 21. There's something about eating together. Even the Last Supper, when everything was going on, there's just something about Jesus and eating. Open the door and guess what will happen? You will receive the reward of the Lord. That's verse 21. He actually promises a reward. Did you, have you heard this verse? Listen to it. Jesus says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Did you see that? 
if we overcome fear and the barriers that keep us from opening the door, and if we indeed open the door for him to come in and sup with us, Jesus promises then that he will fellowship with us all the way into eternity. In other words, if you allow me to eat with you in fellowship, I will allow you to sit with me in glory. (laughs) You open the door, you overcome all those barriers. When we get to glory, we're going to sit down and have fellowship all the way through eternity. What a beautiful picture. If you overcome like I did, I will, you will sit with me in glory like I sat in glory with the Father once I rose again from the dead. Who wouldn't want that? And so, friends, today, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, this is your moment to say, I'm going to open the door. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to make a decision to do that and mark that decision in the chat. Say, I'm opening the door. Pastor, I'm opening the door. I'm letting Christ back in. I'm tired of being lukewarm. And my prayer is, God, lift me out of my lukewarmness. And there may be somebody in the room, even though this is a broadcast service, that wants to say, Lord, lift me out of my lukewarmness. Yes, I'm opening the door and I'm coming back into fellowship with you, Jesus, Because you know what? I've had the door closed for a while. And if that's you and you're in the house here, stand to your feet. Because, again, you're marking in that moment that, yes, Lord, I hear you and I'm opening the door. And by doing this, by making this decision, you're saying, God, I'm accepting your rebuke and your chastisement. You're saying, God, I am authentically repenting before you and I am willing to change my ways with your help. You're saying, God, I'm opening the door and inviting you into fellowship again because I can't wait for you to come in and sit down at the table so we can eat together and I can be restored and fellowship with you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for not leaving, but staying at the doorstep of our lukewarm homes and hearts and knocking on the door. And Lord, we thank you that we can open the door today and that you still want to come in to be with us. We receive you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Bridgeway Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Bridgeway, visit our website at bridgeway.cc. To watch all of our sermons, visit our YouTube channel and make sure you subscribe while you're there. If you'd like to download sermon notes, just click the link in the description. If you'd like to take part in our 30th anniversary challenge, go to bridgeway.cc 30. That's bridgeway.cc T-H-I-R-T-Y. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.